Hello, Imperfect listeners. Welcome back to another episode of The Imperfect Pod, where we discuss masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. On this episode, my guest is GP. He is a soon-to-be father. The child should be born at any time now. And we're going to talk about on this episode what to expect when you're expecting as a father. Some of the topics of this episode include the difficulties of having a child during COVID, navigating your wife's wants, needs, and cravings during pregnancy, how expecting men can navigate their own selves, become more positive and change their mindset, dealing with resentment and relationship hijacking with intentionality, um, continuing to connect with your partner and not just focusing on the baby all the time and much, much more. Um, GP's bio is at the beginning of the episode, but I really hope you enjoy it. It's a great conversation about this journey of a soon-to-be father and it is the second last episode interview anyways of the Imperfect Pod, so I really hope you enjoy Enjoy, and let's get into the episode now. Hello, Imperfect listeners. It's your host, Luke Bat West, back with another episode of the Imperfect Pod, where we discuss masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. Today's guest is Gaston Pierre, also known as GP. He is an emerging leader and a speaker with a decade of combined leadership experience in the nonprofit and entertainment sectors. He is a reality television competition champion, winner of The Sing-Off, the same show that Pentatonix won, I believe, back in the day, and a multi-award nominated musician and recording artist who has mastered the art and science of performing under pressure. He ultimately aspires to inspire 1 billion people with his voice before he expires. But today... We're not here to talk about podcasting. We're here to talk about what his life is like as an expecting father. His daughter, Elizabeth, is expected to be born late March or early April, so just about a month away from today, the day of recording. Um, Gaston, thank you so much for being with me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Luke, and I'm glad to be on this podcast. Yes, I am very excited to, to have you. We got to know each other a little bit through the uh, ODP fellowship that we're in right now, but... I really wanted to talk, and as soon as you said this, the the words, you are an expecting father on on one of the calls, group calls that we had. I knew I had to have you on. It's one topic I haven't covered on my podcast yet, and I'm always looking to explore different themes, different topics. And I'm like, that's I'm sold. This is this is going to happen. This is going to happen. So we we've talked yeah. over the last couple of weeks, made it happen, and I know that there's been quite a few challenges within the COVID experience of being a father. And I really wanted to hear what that was like for you. I, I heard that you weren't able to get into all the appointments. How has that affected your experience of, of about to be a father? Yeah. So when I first found out that uh, we might be expecting a little one, we, of course, went to the doctor for the appointment to find out whether it was true or not. And when I got there, I had my mask. I figured, okay, my temperature's not high. They'll surely let me in there to hear about this exciting news. And they told me, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to let you in for this appointment. You have to wait outside in your car. And so I was disappointed. I walked out, waited in the car, frustrated. And when my wife came out, she told me, yes, we're having a baby. And so just not being able to be a part of that moment um, in real time, it, it it really, really made it real for me. It's just like, wow, like this pandemic has kind of changed the way we do things. And also in that same moment, I had to make a choice. 
to be grateful for what I did have. Even though I didn't have the opportunity to be there in that room, I had the opportunity to be on this journey with my wife, this opportunity to welcome uh, an expansion to our family, a beautiful baby. And so even in spite of that, you know, tension, that anger that I initially felt, I eventually leaned into it and embraced it as a challenge. And moving forward, all of our appointments, I'm not there next to her. She sometimes FaceTimes me. She sometimes calls me or texts me while she's at her appointment. And I realized that, you know, I would have to drive further south. And so we live in New Jersey. And so in November and December, we decided to go down to North Carolina and to schedule some exams there. And while in North Carolina, I was able to be in the room during those exams. And so that is where I heard the heartbeat. That is where I was able to be a part because I guess COVID at that time was a little less uh, rampant and was a little, uh, things were a little more lenient down there. And so I was able to experience a few appointments, but when we came back to New Jersey, it's back to the ritual. I go back to my car and she's in there being checked on and the checking on our, on our baby. And so that's what that experience has been like. It's been a whirlwind. It's been different, but I'm grateful for what I have experienced. I have heard my my baby's heartbeat. I have experienced um, a kick. You know, these things are things that no one or nothing can take away from me. Like I am watching my wife's belly grow each and every day, and it's exciting. Yeah. When was the moment that you knew it was real? Like, was it the time that your wife came out and said? you know, we're going to have a baby or was it the heartbeat? Was it the kick? When did it feel most real to you? Yeah. So when she first came out of that appointment and said, yes, we're having a baby, it was exciting, of course. And, you know, I think it got real when I heard the heartbeat because even with getting, you know, a piece of film or a picture, that's nice. You, you can see the outline of the body, you know, small, but when you hear the heartbeat and you hear the rhythm of life, in your ears and you realize what you're hearing is like, oh my goodness, we made this. That is just a phenomenal, phenomenal sound that I will never forget. The most beautiful sound I've ever heard in my life. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of music. I'm a fan of audio, but I tell you, there is no audio file that will top that audio file that I heard my, my, my baby's heart beating. And that is something that I will never forget. Have you, have you ever thought, I know that there's now you can get tattoos of like sound waves. Have you ever thought about getting a tattoo of the heartbeat on your arm or anything like that? You know, I've never thought about that. I'm not a tat person, but that, that would be awesome if I had a, a sound wave of, 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 of that sound. Yeah. Cause I was thinking, I've seen some stories out there about uh, a mother's last, I love you to their daughter. And I think the daughters have gotten tattoos. That'd be a really fascinating one to hear. I mean, we live in an audio world nowadays. Well, we've always lived right. in an audio world, but we can capture that audio forever. So you don't really need a tattoo, but it would be just a really interesting concept uh, for that to do. Um, one, one of the things I wanted to ask you, cause I know the baby hasn't been born yet what is the setup going to be like for the actual birth? Are you going to be able to be in that room? Is there a process there that you're able to, to access? Like what's going to be the month from now? Yes. So I have already talked to the hospital. We selected, we did some shopping because we realized that in New Jersey, um, we rank probably towards the bottom number 45 when it comes to, um, infant mortality and complications. And so because New Jersey 
is not scoring too well in that area, I, I made a decision that we are going to look for the best hospital in New Jersey. And so we selected the uh, hospital, the Princeton Hospital. Um, those who know about Princeton University, it's Ivy League University. And so the hospital attached to that institution. And so we have been going through some orientation courses with that hospital. We know what the rooms look like. We know what's going to be expected. They've already informed me that I will be the only one in the room aside from the doctors and deliverers and nurses. And so no other family members can be there. And so I will be there uh, to support my wife as she pushes out my beautiful, beautiful baby. And uh, I'll be there to support her and to encourage her and to be her cheerleader. So I know I'll be there. So I'm grateful that even though I haven't been able to be at the past few appointments and I won't be at any more appointments, uh, but the next time I'm with her in that in one of those situations, we will be welcoming our beautiful, beautiful baby. Awesome. I'm excited that you're able to, to at least be part of that process. And I didn't even know that you had to shop for hospitals. Is that something that you do as a, as a parent? Well, like I never heard of that before. No, honestly, when I say shop, I mean, I can choose, we can choose as mother and father where we give birth to our baby. So I don't have to go to the hospital down the street, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, the reality is that, you know, all hospitals aren't created equal. You know, some have better facilities, some have better gadgets, some have more accommodations. And so I was willing to, quote unquote, pay the price. I know delivering at this hospital, first of all, delivery is not a cheap thing. You know, it can it can run you anywhere from who knows, five to 30,000, depending on how complicated the process is or how long you're there. Some pay more. But, you know, I decided that I wanted to ensure that I go to a clean, safe, reputable institution and a place that had um, all the things that would make the process comfortable. So after doing research and comparing a few, we selected the Princeton Hospital and, you know, we're excited about visiting there in person. We've been visiting virtually, looking at the pictures and taking virtual tours. But it's good to know that we have done our due diligence to ensure that we know what to expect. And so that's why I say shopping. It's important for parents to advocate for themselves because no one can choose that hospital for us. I could have went anywhere, but I made sure to read reviews, to see what others have experienced and to find the best in my area so that I can have the optimum experience. That's good to know. I honestly just thought that as like it would be geographical, locational based, that you just had to go to the closest hospital to you. So I'm learning something. This is this what you learned in the process of becoming a father, or did you know this all along? No, I learned it while I was a part of the process because I just assumed like you have to get to the hospital as soon as possible. And so you have to pick the closest one. But I realized through my courses and learning that labor can be anywhere from five to 24 hours, sometimes longer. And so even after the water breaks, there's still a considerable amount of time until it's go time. And so you don't have to get to the hospital as soon as the water breaks. Yes, you should go, but you don't have to get there right away. And so that's one thing I learned. And so it's important to be informed and to be educated so that you can make, you know, the best decision for your family. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I hope my audience learned something new because I just learned something new, which is what all these podcasts are about. Um, and I know that probably being in this stage, you hear it, you will see it in the movies all the time that the relationship between the partners can get really complicated with the with 
the pregnancy. Either the idea of the woman being too hormonal, which is just a mean accusation. I mean, so much change is going through their body to the fact that you're now just a running mate. Have there what have been some of the challenges in that partnership in that marriage that have come up through either the first, second, and third trimester? Yeah, I found myself initially when we found out we were expecting that, you know, of course, you know that it's going to happen. And then you start seeing some changes. And, you know, I caught myself in the beginning. I had I had to really, really reel back because my wife called me out on it because I found myself sort of minimizing what she was going through. Like if she would complain of a pain or an ache or something, I would, I would question, are you really feeling that? Is it really that bad? You know, and, and that's, that's the worst thing to do. You do not want to make your wife or partner feel like what they're experiencing is not quote unquote, something that's serious because it is serious. Their body's changing. Something is growing inside of them. And Pregnancy is very unpredictable. I just assume that the first semester, first trimester, second trimester, you know, you might have a few vomit spells, but after that, it's smooth sailing. No, there's no one size fits all uh, model for pregnancy. My wife still gets uh, sick sometimes. Sometimes the things that she loves to eat, all of a sudden she can't stand it right now. And I can't explain it, but all I know that it's my duty to support her to serve her. I mean, I've, I've embraced that whenever she asks for something, whenever she needs something, the least I can do is to get off my butt and go do it and serve with a smile on my face with no smart comments, no matter how crazy the request is. Just a few, a few days ago, she had her first real craving, her first real craving. And she was like, baby, I want to eat this. And I was like, okay, we don't have that here. She was like, baby, I really want to eat this. And I realized, oh snap, this is a craving. And so I put on my mask, got in my car, drove to that location to get exactly what she wanted. And so, you know, you have to be willing to serve. You have to be humble because a lot of times, you know, as the man, you need to be a servant. You need to humble yourself and don't expect your wife to cook meals for you. Don't don't expect what you what what you once thought was normal because in your marriage it's a partnership and you should be comfortable with role reversals. Like if you used to cook or if you if your if your partner used to cook and they no longer are able to do it, you got to step up and learn how to cook some dishes. You got to step up and learn how to serve in different capacities. And so you have to have an open mind and a willing heart and a willing disposition to serve. That's my, that's my opinion and what I've experienced. And so I realized when I stopped being smart, when I stopped questioning what she was going through and when I just served without asking any questions, it was a whole lot smoother. She was very appreciative of what I did. And, you know, she, she recognized that I was there to support her, even though I couldn't experience or feel what she's feeling. I am here with you and I will do whatever it takes to help bear the burden with you. Awesome. And how can men go through or expecting fathers go through that process? Is it one that they have to go through by themselves where it's like, okay, I need to fix my own mindset to become more of a servant? Or is it one that you communicate with your partner to figure out what works for the both of you? Like, I'm really curious to hear what your 
approach was to adapting that mindset. You seem like a pretty positive person already. And and I think that maybe has helped, but I want to know if there's anything tangible that you've done throughout this last eight months. Yeah. Yeah. I had to literally reach out to a few fathers, some people who had gone before me, you know, maybe they were a little along their journey and their, their baby was now two or three months old, but I asked them questions about their process and what they experienced through their pregnancy. And they poured wisdom into me and gave me some insights and I made a decision to implement those things. And so that has helped me to transition and to be a better father and a better husband throughout this process. I'm not perfect. I'm far from perfect, but I am a lot better than where I was when I first began this fatherhood journey. I can know that for a fact. I can say that for a fact, with a fact, as a fact. And so I'm grateful for the progress and I will continue to strive to be open, to be willing to learn, to grow, because the moment you think you have arrived, like, oh, I'm a perfect father, I'm a, perf- I'm a, per- I'm a perfect husband. No, you, 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 you got it all wrong. Your mindset should be, I'm willing to grow. I'm willing to, to, to listen. I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to increase my capacity so that I can be the best that I can be because you'll never be perfect, but you can at least be the best that you can be. Yeah. I, I love that approach and I love that framework. And, I, and I'm wondering with all this, these asks and you wanting to be a servant, it can be really hard for anyone to humble themselves to that level, to that degree. Have there any been? Have there ever been times where you've been resentful towards either the pregnancy or the baby or the wife, and and like, oh, it's stealing my time from my wife. Like this was supposed to be us, and now I don't have that time with her, or you know, it's been she's been angry with me for four months now. Like, what what's been that approach to you, knowing that what you've known and what you've lived through has been disrupted? Yeah, it, it's I've had to fight that because in a sense, your life gets hijacked. Like, okay. Everything revolves around the baby. Like we have to prepare our space for for the coming of our baby. We have to buy things. We have to prepare things. And so, you know, and you really have to be intentional about all of that. And so it's easy to get lost and to, you know, lose yourself and to even lose your marriage in the process because all the focus is on this other other thing. And, you know, you're not pouring into each other. You're not communicating as much. You're not connecting with each other as much because all of your focus is on the baby that's on the way. But I think it's important for parents to realize that you come first, you and your spouse, you and your partner come first. And if you are healthy and you are thriving, then that'll be the best foundation for the baby. Because if you just give everything to the baby and you lose your marriage and you lose your connection, your baby will grow up seeing those things and will pick up on those things. They're like sponges. They, they, they're smarter than we think and know. And so I want to ensure that I pour into my marriage, that I'm spending quality time with my wife so that, you know, we can build that foundation for our children. And so we shouldn't put the cart before the horse. So build on your marriage, have a strong foundation and then work on your children. So I think, that, that should be priority, your marriage, then your children. And so I had to be intentional about fighting that, not allowing, you know, us to be consumed by everything baby, everything baby. 
Yeah. And, and how have you been approaching that throughout? Is it like date nights that you still go on? Is it still, you know, focusing on, you know, this, these two hours, we're not going to talk about the baby. How have you done that in really applicable ways? Yeah. You have to catch yourself sometimes. Stop talking about the baby. Yeah. Let's just leave it alone. And you sometimes you have to just let go of your phone and computer and talk about something else. Dream about the future. Ask questions about how you're feeling, questions about your future, questions about your interest. And so, you know, in this COVID situation, it's been tough. You know, we can't travel. We love traveling, but sometimes we just get into the car and drive around. And so whatever you have to do, you can be creative, but find ways to engage in your passions and to just connect with each other because at the end of the day, you know, you were there first. And so mm. protect what you've built. Yeah. And I love that. My my mom and dad have been the same way. And something I didn't even realize, we had this conversation in the summer, is that even to this day, before when my dad gets home, like the first thing he does is go up to my mom and kiss her uh, before he even like really pays attention to us mm. or the dog. And, um, he, and mm -hmm. I didn't even realize that. But my mom was like, you know, he's been a model and they've tried to be a model for attention going to the the partnership first the marriage first and then watching that sprinkle down to yeah. the children and even though it's you know i'm 24 now i'm the youngest it's still something that i didn't even really notice but i all it like didn't notice up front in the intention behind it but noticed in the aspect that that's just what I thought a normal family would look like. So I love how you brought the fact that it's still the spouse, the partnership first. Yeah. One, one of the things that I wanted to get in with you too, when based off of one of our conversations is this idea of the registry. And I know it's the, uh, today is the day of the baby shower that's coming. So maybe there's going to be gifts there too, but can you explain a little bit about the registry and why it might be something that is conflicting or, or uh, takes away from the independence of, of a man? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, in America, we have these wonderful things called registries. And, you know, you can do it through Amazon, through Target, through anywhere. And it literally allows a community to shower love on an expecting mother, an expecting family. And so... The people can literally select anything they want, anything they would like for their baby. This bed, this crib, details, specific things, select it, add it to your wish list, and people can get the link and choose which items to, to purchase. And so they can make your, your wish list become a reality. Um, and so, you know, for some people, it's just like, okay, well, this is a wonderful opportunity for the community to, to lavish love on you and to show their support and love. But for some, being a provider and saying, oh, my goodness, so if everyone else is giving all these gifts, what am I to give? How, how do I contribute to, to, this, to this puzzle? Uh, and so I know I, I thought about that, and I was like, that's interesting. I wonder if there are any men out there who have a real problem with the registry. Yes, it's cool because you can save a lot of money for your family, and you don't have to go buy all those essentials by yourself. But are there people who really, really loathe the registry because they feel like it's robbing them from their, their duty to provide and to uh, be that uh, protector and that, that source of, of, of uh, 
providence for that child and family. And so just food for thought. But you know, it doesn't bother me. I appreciate it. But sometimes when I see little things on the registry, like a little book or a little toy, I'm just like, you know, I could buy that, you know. <laughs> I appreciate, you know, all these gifts. But sometimes I wonder, okay, what do I want my contribution to be? And what gift do I want to give to my daughter? And, you know, just that's just something I think about sometimes. But I think that it's a wonderful thing to have a community that wants to pour into you because being a parent is not cheap. There are hidden costs of childhood that you don't know about until you get into it. Um, and so I think that it's a blessing and it's a wonderful thing to, you know, to receive gifts. But at the same time, you know, it might be problematic for some. Yeah. And I thought that was a really fascinating point that you brought up, which is, you know, I always wonder where that comes from. Is it a pride thing, a responsibility thing, a self-worth thing as a man? And, you know, I, on this podcast, I talk a lot about provision and what does providing mean? And whenever I have these kind of conversations, I try to tell them to reframe their approach to providing. Well, maybe you providing for your child was to have such a large community that wants to support your child, right? Like if it's, if you have no friends, mm -hmm. then you have to do all the providing. But if you have tons of friends, how is that right. not a, how is the support system not a providing something that you provided as well? So what, right. are, what are your thoughts on where that comes from? Is it a pride thing? Is it a responsibility thing? Is it a thing that just society has told men that they have to do and be? Like, what is it uh, for you with those small jealousies, I guess? Yeah, I think I think uh, part of it is just societal indoctrination. Like the expectation is for the man to provide and for the man to be able to, to you know, provide everything that they need and want. And, you know, if you can't provide everything they need and want, then you are not really, quote unquote, a man. And so I think the registry sort of threatens that, that, uh, that idea that, okay, I can't do everything. Even if I try to do everything, there are still other people who want to contribute. And so you have to be willing to, to be okay. You have to be, I think you have to be confident. You know, you, be, you have to be confident in yourself to know Listen, even though these gifts are coming in, you know, I am still a provider, even if I can't provide monetarily, even if I if I can't provide how I would like to, I can provide emotional support, I can provide spiritual support, I can provide other things that can guide along the journey. And so I think, you know, having that, that confidence in who you are, and knowing that your worth as a man or husband or father is not defined by your income or your tax bracket. No matter how rich or how poor or how, 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 no matter what you think about yourself, you are a father and you are worthy of that title and nothing can take that away from you. And so, you know, I, I feel for the fathers who might be listening, who perhaps are unemployed or underemployed and they're just like, oh snap, I'm a father and I'm supposed to be providing, and I can't provide much. Like, I'm sure that hurts them to their core. That hurts their ego. But you have to know that you're not defined by the amount of money in your pocket, but by the content of your character and by the value you can provide. And so just keeping that mindset, I think you'll be safeguarded from being insecure or hurt or threatened by a registry or by someone else being willing to be very generous to your family in this time of transition. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's why I'm such a big proponent of reframing what it means to provide. Just as you were, you reframed the experience when you weren't able to go to those meetings was, or, or those appointments was, I'm still grateful for the opportunity that I get to become a father, shaping the, changing the idea of provision right. that, I am still able to provide emotionally for for my daughter or son. I'm able to provide a, a home in which they can feel safe, um, whether from physical violence or from emotional ideas. Like you know, like just this idea that provision doesn't just come from the money in your bank account, as you alluded to. Now mm-hmm. I wanted to go into what, how much you've changed, and and your expectations of being a father, kind of. You, you mentioned it a little bit earlier about knowing from day one of what it was to be an expecting father because of the mentorship that you experienced and the conversations that you have. What have you been doing in those in that mentorship and beyond to grow as a man and potential father? Yeah, I, I think I've been listening to podcasts. And so, you know, I think podcasting is a wonderful growth hack for busy people. And so although my time is limited, I do my best to listen to podcasts or audiobooks or resources that I can check out, articles, um, books, you know, things that can help me as I am developing as a father. And so I think more importantly, I think being balanced, I think I have been more intentional about being present and being fully available uh, with my family. And so I, I, I try not to multitask as much. I try to do one thing at a time. That way I can be more present and engaged and not just trying to get by and get things done and check it off the list, but to ensure that I do everything well. And that goes from work professionally. And that goes to work at home. Like if I am going to be sweeping the floor, I'm going to sweep it well and to ensure that no crumbs are left behind. And so I think having that mentality and mindset, it takes intentionality to be great at everything because I have decided that I don't want to be a public success, but a private failure. And so I want to be a great husband, a great dad, and I want to be great at what I do. And so being intentional. And so I noticed that I have been negligent in certain areas of my life. And so I've been very, very intentional about taking my health more seriously and my spiritual health and my emotional well-being. And so I think all of that together, doing all of those things has been helping me become better prepared as a father. Yeah. And I love that. What What are some resources for the expecting fathers out there who might, that you've, you've attended to and you listen to that, that might help other expecting fathers? Yeah, I'll start with uh, the Imperfect Pod. The Imperfect yes. Pod is a great podcast that you should check out. <laughs> Love Listen, it. if you have not listened to that podcast, what are you doing with your life? Listen, this is the place to listen, to grow, and to connect with other like-minded people. So um, a podcast I was recently on was Welcome to Fatherhood. And that is a podcast specifically for fathers like me who are becoming fathers, whether they are in the beginning stages or they have just welcomed their daughter from the hospital. You get their stories, you get their insights. Um, I listened to another podcast that is not geared for men, but I learned so much from it. It's called The Beautiful Birth Podcast. 
The Beautiful Birth Podcast is a podcast for women. However, you learn so much because they really get the stories and it's literally a doctor, OBGYN, who shares your expertise and knowledge. And so those are great resources that I listen to. Um, there are tons of books. You can just go on Amazon or Audible to check out fatherhood resources. But those are three podcasts that I listen to. Well, I'm going to listen to Imperfect Pod. I'm going to start binge listening. But these are resources you can check out to uh, develop yourself as a man. There are also, you know, accountability groups and things that you can do. Like if you're on Clubhouse, there are rooms for men, rooms for fathers. So I think if you really want to grow, you can find growth opportunities anywhere. And so just be, be aware about it and be intentional about finding it. But what you look for, you'll find. And so, yeah. yeah. Love it. Love it. I love the, uh, the aspect of, of tying in my podcast. Thank you very much. I, I won't say that too humbly. Um, but even so as a expecting father of a daughter in America, there's been a lot going on in the last year in terms of racial relations. And I, I know you touched on it a little bit on the welcome to fatherhood podcast that you were actually featured on. Is there anything in particular when it comes to raising your daughter that makes you scared any conversations that you're scared to have that you know you'll have to have and how do you prepare for those now yeah uh some of those conversations i i know i'm not ready to do i'm not ready to tackle yet but i know like the fact that a woman can be just as qualified and can be just as educated and you know capable but she makes less money than a man is atrocious i think it's a shame and I also believe that, you know, in America, we have, although we have come a long way, there's such a, 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 there's such a long way to go when it comes to race relations and equality with the systemic injustices. And so I desire for my daughter to grow up in a, in a, in a world that doesn't see her as less than, that doesn't see her as an object, but see her as a person um, and to see her for who she is. And so you know, as a protector, as her father, you know, I want to make sure that she grows up um, and, and knowing her worth and knowing, you know, her value so that even when society tries to bring her down or tear her down so that she would not, um, you know, just be downed by it, but that she can rise above it and continue to soar. And so I see my role as a protector. I know the world is crazy and it's dangerous and it's, it's not going to be kind to her all the time. And so I'm going to do what I can to empower her, to instruct her and to love on her so that she will be prepared to face this crazy world when she's ready to get off my lap and run off to college. Cause I think, I think, mm. I think they grow up so fast. We oftentimes think that we have a long time to, to pour into them, but the reality is time flies. And so from the moment that she gets in my arms, I'm going to be intentional about pouring into her and loving on her and uh, just uh, ensuring that she is a confident person and that she knows her value is not based on the labels that society would try to place on her. Mm. When do you think is the, or when will you think is the right time to have these types of conversations? I think that's always also a, a hard question for a lot of expecting fathers and even parents. And I really, I'm really kind of curious to hear how you might be looking at it from a expecting father, you like, you know, 
oh, the, the perfect time to have this conversation is like when she's 10 years old, or are you thinking earlier, depending on when it happens in the news, what is your approach or what do you think your approach to this is going to be? Yeah, I think kids are inquisitive and intelligent. And because of the world we live in, if you have a cell phone and if you have an iPad or if you have a TV on, just by nature of what's happening, she may ask me some questions that I was not ready to answer. Like she will be, she will be inquiring about what she sees and what she experiences. And, you know, I may have been planning, you know, it might've been, you know, okay, we're supposed to have this conversation when you're 13, but now we have to have it when you're six. And so I think parents need to be adaptable and flexible. You, I don't think it's safe to just put a time frame or to put an age number. Oh, I'm going to talk to her about this when she's this years old. No, just be ready. Just be, be equipped, learn, study, you know, prep yourself, talk to other parents. But I think when the time presents itself, it'll be time. Like you can't plan it. I think that it needs to come out of the relationship that you have so that it can be authentic. But I don't also believe in forcing anything that should not be there. And so I think when the time comes, the opportunity will present itself. I plan to be ready to go there and to provide direction and instruction. But until then, I'm going to allow her to enjoy her childhood. I want to her to, to just grow up as the princess that she will be. And when it's time to grow up, it'll be time to grow up. But I don't want my child to be robbed of her childhood. Yeah. And that's such an important point too, is like, you don't, it can rob them of those experiences. It can rob them of, of seeing the world in a childish fairy tale type way, which obviously you don't want to. And I love how you said, uh, treating her, treating her like a princess. Is that going to be your approach to, to fatherhood? And, and like, how, how excited is that going to be to have that father daughter experience, um, that a lot of people, want to have it's like oh it's my princess my 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 little queen growing up in my kingdom my castle yeah yeah i i used to laugh at at that concept but i i really am excited about being a girl dad and you know if if i have to buy all the pink puffy dresses like i'll do it you know i'm okay with that um i think that it's important for for girls to know that they're valued and i think it's important for men to learn how to love their daughters, because I think that you should be your daughter's first love. You should be your daughter's first love so that when she grows older, she'll know what love is. And when she encounters a counterfeit situation, she won't fall for it. She won't be uh, willing to settle for anything less than the real thing. You know, how do you know what's, what's real when you've been with a counterfeit? You have to know what's real to know what's fake. And so, you know, I think it's important for parents and fathers, especially to love on their daughters in a special way and to model that with our families, with my wife, so that she can see what true love looks like and that she will be prepared to make her decisions. Because at the end of the day, my little princess is going to grow up and she's going to make decisions without me. And so I want to do the best that I can to ensure that she has all the information and inspiration and love and emotional um, preparedness to make the best decision possible. Yeah. And I love that. I had another uh, gentleman on, I think it was episode 20, Marcus Ogden, uh, ex-NFL player. And I asked him too, because he has two daughters uh, himself. 
And he said very much the same thing. I, I need to be the model of loving so that when they go out and they find a man, that that man loves them how they deserve to be loved and how they deserve to be treated. Because one of the things I see right now is a lot of brokenness because of the broken homes and and a lot of dangerous love in in young women, mm. young men of how they love and how they think they lower their worth because of that lack of positive love. And I've talked about it before, the fatherless uh, epidemic and how important that is to discuss as a society and, and the importance of fathers or even male mentors and male influence in the lives of young women, because as you said, they are the model for that. So if you're a single mother, I think part yeah. of your job is to find effective men that doesn't have to be a relationship in your community that can model what being a man is like for a daughter. And, and the same goes for single fathers, finding a powerful or in positive influencing women to model that to their to their daughters or, or sons and what that looks like. So I love how you brought that up. And I'm really curious, what is your what is your, going to be your approach to that in maybe some more tangible ways is is that something that you felt you lacked growing up or or what is kind of your framework for that yeah yeah i, I grew up in a, a wonderful home i love my mom and dad but i realized as i got older that i grew up in a home where my father was physically present always providing always working hard but he was emotionally absent and so i want to do my part to ensure that i provide not just physically but emotionally he didn't really verbalize how much he loved me, but I know he did because he was always providing, always working hard, doing the best for our family, putting us in the best schools possible, you know, being willing to just sacrifice and go without so that we could have. But I, I realized that I missed out on that verbal affirmation and those intentional moments to, to connect emotionally. So I want to ensure that I am present physically and emotionally. And I think that is so crucial to, to, to raising whole people. Because I think, you know, when we, when we really think about it, like when you don't realize how much you are loved, it, it wreaks havoc. You really don't know your worth. You really settle for less than you should. And so I want to ensure that my daughter knows and I show it to her and I say it and I demonstrate it. I want her to get tired of it. I want her to have no doubts about how much I love her. And I think that will serve her well as she develops into the young woman that she will be. Awesome. And I'm curious now about, you know, you just talked about your relationship with your father and how has that, has it been affected at all throughout your own journey as a expecting father, as a father to be, what has changed in your own relationship with how you see your father? Because I think that always happens is that children will see they offer a lot more empathy to their to their parents maybe than they did before. I'm I'm curious to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I, I I have to be more gracious towards my father. The moment I found out I was becoming a father, I realized my father was not always emotionally available. However, he did not ever know his father growing up. So I realized he did the best that he could with what he had. And so I have decided that I will do better because I had a better foundation, because I was blessed to have him as a father. Although he was not always emotionally available, I know that he loves me. And so I have given him grace. I have forgiven him for, you know, the things that he could have done better because I realized he was doing the best he could at the time. However, I plan to do better. I plan to be that present 
father in every way. And so I have extended father grace to my father. And I, I, I saw him hold my, my, my new niece. My sister had a baby like three weeks ago. And I saw him holding his granddaughter and I'm excited for him to hold his other granddaughter. And so I have just been uh, more bonded, more close to him. And I've connected him on a whole new, new level because I didn't realize, you know, how much fatherhood really affects you, affects everything. I mean, it, it's stressful. You, you worry about your future. You worry about your family. You worry about being enough and doing enough. And so the least I can do is extend grace, but I still love him and he's a wonderful father. Awesome. So kind of to, to come to a close of the conversation, what do, do you think, looking 20 years into the future, just 20, what would being a successful father look like to you? Wow. How do you define success as a father? I think uh, success for me looks like uh, my daughter or any other children that I have being confident that they are fully loved by their father and mother, confident in their abilities that have clarity as to what their purpose and strengths are, and that they would have a a foundation that is strong to to launch from, to to pursue their dreams. And so, you know, success for me uh, as a father is ensuring that my children, you know, go to college and have no debt, that they are clear on their purpose, that they are level-headed, well-rounded people who are living life, enjoying life, but still handling their business academically and professionally. And so I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, being emotionally healthy and physically healthy and spiritually healthy, I think those are the marks for success for me. I mean, financial is who cares about that? I mean, money can come and go, but I think time is the most important asset. It's non-replenishable. And so the time that I have with my children in the house, I want to make the most of it so that when they leave and transition to college or leave the house, that they will be equipped in position to be successful in all that they do. And so I think love is the foundation. And so I'm just going to love on them as much as I can and when I love on them as much as I can, I can say at the end of the day that I have loved them with the best of my ability and I'm confident that they will be successful in all that they do. And what's your biggest fear about being a father? What's your biggest worry about the next year? Yeah, the biggest fear that I have is that I won't be able to protect my daughter from the evils of the world. When I say evil, that could be anything. Like, how can I protect my daughter from COVID-19? How can I protect my daughter from pedophiles? How can I protect my daughter from anything that could bring harm to her? So that's my biggest fear, not being able to protect her. Wow. And and I and I heard on your on your podcast uh about this idea of overprotective. You felt a little bit overprotected as a, as a child. How do you balance that overprotectiveness and not overprotecting your own child? Yeah. Yeah. Cause they say that you end up doing exactly what your parents did to you. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up, you know, I felt like I was very sheltered. I wasn't allowed to experience and explore as much as I would have liked to. I felt that my younger sister got more of that opportunity. Um, so, you know, I, I just plan to be 
be open, to be honest, and to communicate with my wife. I think that, you know, we we both have to come to an agreement agreement about how we plan to raise our child and how we plan to discipline them, or you know, how we plan to, um, you know, allow them the freedom and independence while they are developing into the people that they will become. And so I think it's a it's it's a challenge. I think, you know, I don't know what books to read to prepare me. Uh, I, I don't know, man. It's something I have to fight through and be intentional about that. I need to allow my child the the independence, even while they're in my care, the independence to grow and to develop and to make decisions so that I am not crippling their growth and not, not stifling them from the things they could be or do. I actually have a book suggestion for you then, uh, since you just asked for one. Yeah. Um, it's called Coddling of the American Mind. It's mostly about universities, but in it, it does talk, it has a chapter about this this idea of free range parents and overprotecting parents. I think it's like th- two or three chapters about it. Uh, and just this overall idea and concept of how dangerous it is to not allow children who are developing to hear and explore controversial or maybe um conflicting ideas with what they personally hold so that would be one because i i grew Mm. up homeschooled and i was able to like free roam a lot had to be home by the lights were were off that kind of thing but a lot of my childhood i was able to play around and explore different things i think that helped me a lot as i grew up and i read that book and i'm like oh this is definitely me like this i could see myself in that chapter so that's one book i would definitely recommend um maybe just those specific chapters themselves about understanding yeah i'll definitely check it out and there's a jubilee there's a jubilee video free range versus strict parents i'll send it to you in slack um that might offer some some concepts too but uh yeah i really wanted to hear what your overprotectiveness is because you said you want to protect your daughter and i also heard that that you felt a little bit too overprotected so i think that's something that a lot of parents go yeah. through so thank you for bringing that up yeah thank you very much for those recommendations and for um you know it's it's a tough balance to 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 try to figure out but i think that you know at the end of the day you know we are called to protect and we are also called to nurture and so a part of my job also is to help my child be all that she was created to be. And so that also involves me being humble enough to give them the freedom to explore that and to become that. So thank yeah. you for mentioning those. Yeah. Awesome. Exactly. So the last question I want to ask you before I let you go is how are you feeling now, right now, a month away from the birth, what, what are you feeling? It looks like excitement. We're on video. It looks like excitement, but what else are you feeling? Oh man, excitement. And the other part of me is afraid, afraid because I do not know what to expect. I I keep envisioning what it's going to be like when the water breaks and when we go to the hospital, but I don't know what it's going to be like. And so I'm just excited about, oh man, bringing her home And I think I still have to do some things at home. So that's on the back of my mind. I need to stop procrastinating and to put her bed together and to do other things because I know when she arrives, it will be more difficult to do those things. And so I'm part part afraid, partly overjoyed, uh, excited. But at the end of the day, I think that 
nothing you do, nothing you listen to. I mean, it's all great. All the information, all the advice, all the wisdom. No one's experience is the same. And so I am just preparing myself for whatever will happen because I know that my story, my journey will be different from the journeys that I've been hearing about. And so I'm just getting ready, man. I'm just gearing up as best I can. And I'm excited to see, um, you know, how, how she, how she ends up. I'm excited Mm -hmm. to see her personality, excited to see how she interacts with us and excited to see her grow. And so I'm overjoyed. I'm excited. I'm still scared, but that's okay. You know, I will move forward um, in faith, despite the fear, despite the little insecurities that I have about the unknowns, but I'm a father and I'm ready. Let's go. Awesome. I love it. I was going to ask you, have you babified your baby, babyified, babified your, your whole house yet? Not, not the whole house, but it's, it's coming along, but there's still, still some things to do. So that's, that's part of my duty that I have to do this weekend after the baby shower. Awesome. And I love how you talked about being prepared and being ready because I talk about it a lot. You can, you know, as much as you want to be ready for a father, I don't think you'll ever be ready, but you can get prepared. You're, you're doing right. the right things, GP, to get prepared as a father. And that's exciting. And that's what I want people who are listening to this podcast to take away is, is be, become prepared from day one that you hear that a baby is coming into your life, be prepared. And that nine months is going to be up and down. But uh, if you if you approach it with humility and grace, as GP says, I think you'll be you're on your way to becoming a very successful parent. Um, that's the main takeaway I want everyone to take from this episode. But GP, before I let you go, where can people find you? Where can people hear more about your story? And I'll give you a minute to promote yourself. Sure. Well, thanks, Luke, for having me on this podcast and for sharing my journey as a father. You know, I will not be a perfect father, but, you know, I think that I will be uh, the perfect, imperfect father. And so thank you for having me. If you want to connect with me on social media, you can find me on Instagram at GP, the podcast plug, that's GP, the podcast plug, or on LinkedIn, on Facebook, also on Twitter. You can find me there at Justin Pierre, but uh, I love connecting with other podcasters and other creatives. So feel free to shout out to me. Again, thank you so much, Jeston, for being here. Uh, I love your story. I love your wisdom. I love your energy. And I'm excited to share this with the world. I'm going to plan it for hopefully the week that your daughter is born um, to make it even more exciting. Oh, boy. But we'll take that. So you can listen back on that weekday (laughs) one and be like, oh, this is exactly the exact opposite of what I thought it was going to be like. (laughs) But um, yeah, again, thank you so much for for being with me today. I loved hearing your... loved getting to know you and hearing your story. Thank you, Luke. Thank you everyone so much for listening to this week's episode of the pod. I really hope you enjoyed it. I had such a good time uh, conversing with GP about what to expect when you're expecting. A lot of different topics came up that I think are going to be really valuable to anyone who is a soon-to-be father or even just wondering what the process of a fatherhood might look like or pregnancy might look like. Um, You can connect with GP. I've linked all of his links in the bio of this pod, uh, in the description of this podcast, his link tree, which has his websites and some other materials, his Instagram, GP, the podcast plug, as well as his LinkedIn. So make sure to connect with him there. And I've also linked, of course, my Instagram at the imperfect pod and feel free to message me there or at my email, Luke at the imperfect pod.com. So I can see the conversation and I'll see you all next week.